0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Cattlecast. Today we are discussing communication in its many forms and how we can use it to improve both our work and client relationships. Fiona McGilvery describes the importance of non-verbal communication, a difficult topic on a podcast, but here goes. Over to you, Fiona.
1: I am the director of of a consultancy service called MacVet Communications Limited. I provide communication skills training to farm vets um, and I also uh, offer marketing and project management services to companies within the animal health and agricultural sectors. Uh, One of the projects actually was the BVD Free England launch for AHDB in 2016 and I was also involved in creating the BCVA BVD Free training modules so some of you out there might recognise my voice.
0: Okay, so you say that a lot of it is about communication. Through your sort of history, what's made you realise that communication is really important in our area?
1: So when I qualified as a vet back in the late 90s and worked in practice for about eight years in doing sort of mixed farm and companion animal work and also quite a bit of locum work, I suppose that was the first opportunity to recognise that communication was really important when sort of talking to clients, to farmers, about sort of making asking them to sort of make changes up to management procedures or to get them to look at implementing different sort of management systems or or treatment protocols. And oftentimes a word that is associated with me, frustration. I mean, a former boss told my a new boss way back in the midst of time, yes, yeah, she's she's uh, one thing about Fiona, she, she often gets quite frustrated
0: by things. So Good to have that balance of expectations versus frustration i think we can all identify with that and i guess yeah. being the locum and seeing different um sort of staff structures and working with different vets really highlighted different communication styles whether that be good or bad probably exactly
1: right exactly right that was that was kind of kind of one of the things i loved but equally got a bit fed up with as you say that sort of opportunity to go around as a locum and, and sort of experience like you just said practices different ways of approaching stuff and and different communication skills so yeah so that was kind of my first if you like almost subconscious introduction to how communication is really important and can you know influence a day-to-day sort of interactions obviously so then i moved into the animal health industry after about eight years in practice incidentally when i sort of reflect back i'm like eight years that's kind of like my eight years stint doing something and then the next eight years is something totally different so for the next eight <laughs> years, I moved into animal health and I was doing sort of technical and marketing roles. So during that time, I really enjoyed it because again, like you just said, you know, that sort of opportunities are welcome to see different practice and experience different sort of things. As a technical and marketing manager, you were able to obviously work with a lot of vets in practice and listen to their sort of frustrations. And a sort of common theme which resonated with me from my, when I was working in practice was this sort of whole thing of you know, well, when we talk to farmers, you know, it's really irritating because we'll kind of, you know, we'll discuss this I don't know, disease or something. You know, we'll discuss this approach to managing something on farm. I'll often write a report up, you know, really comprehensive. And then the farmer never does anything about it. You know, it's like they're gathering dust or we'll really sort of identify what what's the key problem. And, you know, I'll come up with all these ideas and then, you know, I go back and nothing's changed. So... So it was really interesting again to hear that kind of frustration from time to time for from vets in practice. Whilst I was also working in animal health, because it was a massive sort of culture shock to me going from practice, you know, suddenly it was sort of coming across all these really big personalities within the companies. And I again frustration came up. So I thought, oh, when I had the opportunity to go and do a kind of um CBD training course entitled. Difficult people (laughs) and how to handle them. I thought, oh, this sounds right up my street. (laughs) So that again kind of more formally gave me the opportunity to study, you know, why I perceive people as difficult, you know, why we might perceive people as difficult. Because oftentimes you can say, oh, X farmer, Y farmer, gosh, they're really difficult. (laughs) You know, we'll send someone else out to them. Um, So yeah, it was just a sort of opportunity to kind of look at why that might be. And as I'm sure you're aware, Often sort of boils down to what your own values are, what your own sort of beliefs and ideals are, and then kind of appreciating that what you might think, believe, and see, and what others see as you know value are different, and that's where you might sort of come into conflict, and then that's where sort of the communication style or the communication approach can really help sort of bridge those gaps. So, So that was kind of my second communication. A bit more conscious yep. than when I was in practice.
0: Dealing with, with those difficult clients and trying to go, well, it's really obvious we'll just do X, Y, and Z. Here's the report. We've just spent a three-hour discussion. You know, you've just paid for my time and still yeah. you go back doing nothing. It's definitely a frustration, I'm sure, shared by most of the <laughs> listeners. Exactly. So
1: as you say, hopefully, we're kind of talking about something that, yeah, is is relevant for, for many people listening, hopefully. And I think sort of the third big Red light, or you know, sort of big insight for me, goes back again to BCBA, very useful for communication. One of the congresses, I think it was 2015, when Alison Bard from Bristol University, when she sort of started to present about her PhD work on motivational interviewing, which again is that kind of identifying, you know, perhaps vets and you know, some of our listeners, you know, it is a sort of general thing where vets do feel that frustration where you're talking about sort of changes on farm. But you get frustrated because perhaps your advice isn't being taken up by the farmers and why that might be. And as, as we sort of said, that is kind of looking at how the approach to communicating with farmers might be the key sort of thing, if you like, as to why that happens. So, again, that sort of um, stimulated my interest in communication even further. And motivational interviewing is something I've been really interested in since then. You know, been on several communication, sorry, MI sort of training courses. Now I kind of offer training in MI skills because I think it's really effective and it's been proven to be sort of transferable because it kind of grew up in psychology, you know, sort of counselling, but it's been proven to transfer across so many different disciplines, dentistry, doctors, and Alison's work obviously is identified that it's really useful for vets as well.
0: Yeah, and bringing the pharma sort of along with you when you're, going through your understanding of what the problem is and then helping them to realise their own solutions because farmers are good, really independent thinkers and they are there as often entrepreneurs and they're used to finding solutions themselves. And I think as soon as you just say, well, this is what you do, they kick back so much that having them as part of the discussion is really, really important. Um, so often when, as vets, we're really focusing on communication, probably more aware of it is when we're holding farmer meetings or farmer groups. Um, I wonder if you had any ideas on how we can improve communications through when you're speaking to groups of farmers.
1: I think uh, what you just sort of mentioned there is giving the farmers the opportunity, as you just sort of said, to to voice and share ideas and practices they've maybe already identified thought about started applying on their farms i think it would be you know it's always an opportunity to uh, sort of almost like foster or coach that to come out in sort of farmer meetings as you say certainly if you've got sort of smallish groups and i think a lot of the sort of techniques and approaches that sort of lisa morgan's and sarah bolt from Kingsay. You know, they've been sort of doing a lot of work in, in this sort of area, looking at pharma discussions and how you can more effectively sort of manage those meetings as vets. So you're more of the sort of, as I say, I don't, don't know if coach is the right word, but, you know, you're facilitating, that's the right word, isn't it? You're facilitating the sort of sharing, the cultivation of ideas, you know, within those sort of groups. And I think that's that's certainly a really interesting way moving forwards for pharma meetings you know, to sort of direct them in that way, rather than the sort of traditional approach. Which, you know, when I was again going back to when I was uh, working in technical services, you know, you'd often go to meetings, you'd stand up, talk about this, tell everybody how it should, you know, how they should approach managing diseases, etc., and think, "Oh, right, job done," kind of thing.
0: Yeah, it's quite interesting in these groups if you take a chance to step back. If you're doing more of a discussion group, how you can see the different personalities, groups of the farmers, all there nonverbal communication communications how you can see if they are engaging and if they are enjoying it or trying to back off and run away. Exactly because as you say
1: communication obviously is not just what we text say uh, or what we write or read it's as you say it's those nonverbals it's the sort of body language that, that's giving you far more information oftentimes.
0: Okay so one of the other situations I think often communication comes up is unfortunately when you have disputes or need to discuss things with your boss as sort of an employee employer discussions um how do you think we can improve our communications at that point which can often be quite strained and stressful for both parties I would imagine
1: yeah I think I think you've hit the the nail on the head that kind of you know recognizing that it can be strained it can be kind of tense basically there's a lot of emotion involved and, and like you say often that can be on both sides and I think if you've got the opportunity you know you want to have a conversation about something or you've got the chance to plan in advance I think it's really useful to sort of jot down a few elements of what you want to discuss the best thing as well is to sort of really think about okay how is this making me feel The situation you know am I frustrated uh, obviously that would be me if I was talking about- uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a feeling, am I feeling, you know, exhausted, drained? You know, am I perhaps doing more on call? I feel that I should be doing, or, you know, if it's making you feel exhausted or it's making you feel angry because you feel you shouldn't be put in a certain position, perhaps, just sort of try and sort of tap into those emotions that driving you towards having, wanting to have this conversation and jot that down. Because I think when it comes down to having those conversations, the less sort of emotion that you can have in the actual moment is more likely to give you the chance to have a productive and effective conversation, if you like, because we certainly know that if emotions start to run riot, then that can kind of derail the whole conversation. So as I say, if you've got the time, just sort of write all those emotions down, almost like let it let you get it out of your system, if you like, and then sort of constructively, you know, what you want to discuss what your ideal sort of outcome would be, i.e. do I want the boss to change my rotor or, you know, give me more time for CPD or whatever's on your agenda. But then also try and be a little bit open-minded about, you know, what's perhaps that going through their mind. Maybe they haven't got the opportunity to be able to give you whatever you're after at that point in time. But, you know, it's sort of coming to that sort of negotiation style, you know what I mean, Uh, which is sort of Perhaps they can't do something right now, but they certainly plan to in the future. Always plan preparation. When you're having the conversation, try and make it somewhere that you're not going to be interrupted. So not in the middle of the sort of staff room or whatever. So somewhere sort of fairly private, somewhere you feel comfortable. So it's sort of like a neutral location as well. Plan as much in advance as possible. Try and be calm when you're explaining the situation, what you'd like to come out of the discussion you know and then give them the chance to sort of respond so so that would be the sort of general advice that I suggest for those conversations.
0: I think that is useful just sort of getting out of your system and actually coming with a solution it might not be the one that other half of the conversation agrees to but at least it shows that you've put some thought into what the solutions might be. I think coming from a now hopefully post-COVID or at least post-lockdown point of view we've obviously realised the importance of the whole non-verbal communications when we're doing a lot more communications over emails or of course the dreaded Zoom. (laughs) Um, Have you got any hints or tips in how we can deal with that better? Yeah, I think, as you say, that's certainly
1: a sort of consistent feature speaking to people, which was it's Zoom's been brilliant to give us the opportunity to stay in contact with people. But, you know, that, that sort of missing the opportunity to have the physical face-to-face interaction has really meant that you miss out on so many different cues and messages. Because, as you say, you know, nonverbal communication, literally, you know, from foot position, use of hands, you know, body orientation, all those sort of elements you can't really pick up from those sort of Zoom or, as you say, e- certainly not email communications. So I think it's great now we've got the opportunity to get back face to face. I think because we were talking earlier about, you know, how do you sort of start thinking about nonverbal communication and recognising and identifying it? I think the first thing to remember is that it's it's a two way process. So brilliant. try and work out what someone's saying to you nonverbally. And I think a lot of the time, in some circumstances, what's being said can actually be contradicted in someone's body language. So, for example, so we've just finished the health planning. Yeah. And, and what did you think? that? Was? So you'll be doing this for next time. You know, we're going to check next time I come back. You'll have started to do X, Y and Z, for example. And the farmers, they're going, yeah, uh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. So you're looking for, even though there's a verbal agreement, a positive sort of assertion that, you know, that that's been taken on board and that's going to be implemented, for example. Little things you can look for that might contradict that verbal response might be things like what we call sort of closed body positioning. So maybe crossed arms, lack of eye contact, so not wanting to make that eye contact whilst they're verbally responding, maybe sort of covering the mouth, any sort of physical, bodily presentation that doesn't sort of engage with, you know what I mean, with that sort of particular point in time where you're communicating. We were just saying as well, before we sort of went live, you know, things like if I was going to say, you know, I've got a feeling that such and such person that I was just talking to wasn't necessarily really bought into this whole plan that we'd just been discussing then it's kind of ask yourself, let's, look, let's dig a little bit deeper into this. So why did I not think they were engaged? You know, what kind of things? You can start at the head, move to the toes, or start the other way around. So again, just sort of making notes, you know, what did I notice? Yeah, maybe crossed arms, you know, lack of eye contact, maybe the body position was turned away. Just to start helping you put together what was verbally communicated and what actually was physically communicated through body and face, if that makes sense. Those kind of things are quite useful to immediately sort of start trying to read people's body language, if you like.
0: And then I guess as vets, if we're sort of doing those healthy discussions or, as I said, the bigger meetings and we're ourselves trying to concentrate on other people, do you think that then sort of improves our own uh, nonverbal and verbal communications or do you think it's something you're either born with and you're good at or not?
1: Yeah, this is all the time I'm, I am I kind of get those comments, like you said. Often it's from, I shouldn't say older vets, because that's putting me into that category, but peers, if you like, so people my age group. And I'd like to think, you know, we're all capable of learning new skills. And communication is a skill, like many other skills, and it can be learned and improved upon. But you're absolutely right. You know, oftentimes I'll hear sort of people who've been graduated a number of years, shall we just say, people say, oh, well, that's not for me, it's for new graduates, you know, it's for, for their students. I mean, there's been a lot of research, a lot of work looking at in certainly in the medical sphere and a little bit more in veterinary, because if you think communication has been studied for over sort of 50 years in medicine, just the last 20 years with, with sort of uh, with veterinary. But these studies have looked into whether communication skills can be taught and what sort of outcomes uh, you can expect from that. And the, the good news is that, yes, indeed, communication skills can be learned and you can improve your overall communication. What does that mean? You know, if we're looking at sort of hard facts, because you could say, gosh, well, why would I bother? Because it's probably going to be really hard work. And let me tell you, it's quite hard work, definitely, <laughs> as with any skill. Not only can it influence patients or client outcomes, so it's been proven to improve um, uptake of advice, uh, you know, compliance with management programs or treatment plans, you know, the feeling of satisfaction from clients and farmers. So that's really good to know. That if I'm going to be bothering to sort of learn this skill, I should really be able to expect a, um, you know, an improvement in the people I'm talking to. And then the other thing that's been found is that it's not unsurprising, really. It improves your sort of confidence level as well. I would say the answer is communication skills, both nonverbal and verbal, can be taught, can be learned, and it should definitely translate into an improvement. But it does take practice. But it's fun. I think it's certainly for me, it's been really exciting learning more and more about sort of nonverbal communication but equally when you mention it to people, they get quite worried (laughs) that you might be reading them.
0: (laughs) But you're just studying us and every gesture we make. (laughs) Um, But I think that is the start of many learning of skills is is realising it is happening sort of all the time in every conversation you have, which is the nice thing. And you can practise it in a relatively easy way. It's not like starting a new sport and you have to drive miles to do it. You know, you are doing it every day anyway. Exactly, exactly, Yes. And like we were saying, the nonverbal communication, not only are you reading
1: others, but you've got to be conscious of what messages you might be giving off yourself. And again, a lot of the time it's context specific. So I mentioned earlier, you know, sort of closed off, you know, crossing your arms. And, you know, it's been sort of misrepresented when people have talked about body language, that it's a sort of black and white, you know, crossed arms means someone's not interested, they're not listening, you know, they're sort of closed off to what you're sort of trying to discuss. But equally, you've got to look at the situation. Is it blinking freezing? You know, is it November <laughs> and we're outside in the shed and someone's really chilly because they forgot the thermal vest? So, yeah, it's, it's sort of context specific as well. And it's more looking sort of for patterns of, of sort of that, that body language uh, before you start to make too many assumptions about what someone's saying. But as I just said, if you are trying to talk about something that's a little bit difficult with a farmer, then... You know, try and be a little bit more open in your body position. So, you know, hands out your pockets, sort of arms by your sides, trying to orientate your body towards the farmer rather than sort of off to an angle uh, and sort of, you know, engage in eye contact and, and things like that. So,
0: I think the balance is that you want to come across as really confident and open to new ideas. And obviously the open body language comes in there, but it, but equally you don't want to be seen as too aggressive either by like staring people out and, totally. <laughs> and being a bit too close and sort of fronting up to them. So I guess that comes with practice as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. And as you say, the sort of defined approaches, but you're absolutely right. You've got to take in each individual and communicate with them in a way that you know they feel comfortable as you say you know some farmers some vets might feel more comfortable if you're standing a reasonable distance apart oh, you know sort of two or three arm lengths away others you know might be more comfortable if you stand a little bit closer and you say you sort of make that more intense eye contact so again you can maybe uh, accommodate your communication style non-verbally as the conversation progresses you know and just sort of see how that person responds so it's like a sort of continuous feedback if
0: you like I think one of the difficult things is uh, as farm vets, we've often seen this whole communications area is quite a soft, fluffy sort of area that doesn't really apply to me. Whereas actually, we've just gone through a number of situations, which are definitely, you know, the key frustrations as a farm vet I would definitely agree with when you've just spent ages writing up a report or sitting through a meeting and those changes don't get done or doing farmer meetings or definitely discussing things with either your your boss or your employees that they are things that we do deal with every day so communication is more important with us I think dealing with some difficult farmers than with some of the small animal vets I would say.
1: Yeah just to sort of explain for, for people listening apologies I forgot to mention but Nonverbal communication. I, um, in 2019, started a uh, Master of Research uh, post-grad degree, never thought to go back to academia, but looking at non-verbal communication between vets and farmers during routine consultations. So it's given me the opportunity to really sort of in the study in depth, you know, the sort of whole sort of thing with, with non-verbal communication and, and equally communication generally. And, you know, to, to, to your point about that whole kind of writing the the documents, the reports, etc., and, and you know the lack of uptake. It's been really interesting to sort of recognise that um, you know others have identified that actually, rather than continuously focusing on increasing the amount of clinical knowledge you have, without sort of also recognising that communication skills, you know, learning in that area, you're kind of limiting how effective your transfer of that knowledge and skill can be. Um, so. A couple of guys from Canada, Guelph University, have sort of reported that, you know, yeah, it's not a lack of clinical knowledge that's often the problem, you know, with uptake of advice. It's actually the, the lack of communication skills to make the information you've been learning, the knowledge you've gathered. If you can't translate that into something that's useful and practical for the farmer, then you could be talking gobbledygook, you know what I mean, or Klingon. It's definitely being more and more recognised that it's, a, as you say, it's a soft skill but actually it's really essential. What we've done in the study is look at what nonverbal communication elements, if you like, what aspects of that can be measured by looking at a video recording and being able to sort of consistently measure the nonverbal communication going on. So the next, and I would say more interesting bit, which is really frustrating for me (laughs) because it's not a continuation of our project, would be to actually look at the relevance of some of these nonverbal communication aspects that we were able to measure. So we're looking at these different videos of vets performing fertility examination on farm. And what I was doing was actually saying, well, because of course there's lots of walking around and there's noise in the background and activities that are going to get different bits of equipment and moving cows around. We thought, well, let's look at measuring non-verbals specifically when the vet is preoccupied with, with their arm up the backside of the cow. And the farmer then is also you know, likely to be focused on what's going on at that point in time. It was really interesting to note that of the different vets who were recorded, who were doing the fertility examinations, I mean, if you imagine, so you think, gosh, you know, you're pretty restricted with what you can do in terms of moving your body, moving your head. But it was interesting to observe that some vets really made an effort to move the whole body around as much as possible to then kind of have that direct interaction with the farmer. So that was one thing. So even though they're limited to holding their arm to being next to the cow, they could actually position their body towards the farmer and obviously the gaze. We also looked at the type of scanning equipment that was used. And as you can imagine, you know, because goggles are so convenient, you know, really excellent. But what we'd love to know next is actually, because when the vets were using the scanners as with the goggles, you would notice there was far less uh, opportunity for the vets or the vets didn't move their body as much towards the farmer. And certainly head position tended to be, you know, not necessarily towards the farmer, you know, really sort of focusing on what was going on with the goggles, which is fair enough because that's what you're doing at the time. But it would be really interesting to see, you know, did the farmer feel less engagement during that time? It's also interesting to know that some of the vets held the scanner, you know, sort of strapped to the body, so around the waist or just sort of off the chest, so there were a more, it was more flexibility to look at the image you know, glancing down, but they were free to, to sort of make that eye contact and the, uh, you know, establish that link with the farmer at the same time. So what I think would be fascinating is to look at specifically that interval in a routine consultation and the, you know, the fertility exam phase and get that sort of qualitative information back from vet and father, you know, sort of level of engagement, satisfaction at the end of it, you know, opportunities to discuss Things other than what's going on at that point in time. So I think that'll be really interesting research for the future.
0: We do spend a lot of time in that position, um, <laughs> and I do have goggles, and you you do definitely feel that that there's that extra distance between you, and it's yeah you go through the whole creep adjusting them, or do you just let it be, and you can maybe do more effort to body position and other things, which I personally hadn't thought of. So that's definitely one for me to work on for the next few visits I do. Cool. Oh, well, that'd be good. I'd like to hear how, uh, how you get on. <laughs> Thank you, Fiona, and as ever, more homework for me. If you have any other topics you would like us to discuss on Cattlecast, then please let us know. Also, if you have found this podcast helpful or interesting and get a chance to try out any of Fiona's ideas to focus on communications, then it would be really great to hear from you in any of our usual ways, such as email or through the social media. Thank you.